engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Good evening. Welcome. It is nine after the hour and we've got some breaking news right now. NBC News and Marist have dropped their poll of um, of Georgia. We've got uh, head to head Brian Kemp, 49, Stacey Abrams, 47 in a three way race of likely voters. Kemp, 46, Abrams, 45, Mets, Libertarian, 4%, which means this would go into a runoff. I'm not holding my breath on that one because we saw I did pull up uh, past polling in 2014 and earlier, and we always saw Libertarians with 4 to 5% in the polls, and it didn't bear out at the actual ballot box. What's more, though, is so take away that and just look at the actual head-to-head, Kemp, 49, Abrams, 47. Uh, we've got Kemp up with African Americans 73% in Metro Atlanta 53% with women 14% under 30 13% and college grads with 7%. Brian Kemp is winning white voters 35% men at 18% non-college grads at 11% and rural voters at 35%. Now I'm talking fast so let me slow this back down. Uh, Stacey Abrams has 73 is up 73 points over Kemp with black voters. She's got up over Kemp 53% of Metro Atlanta. She's winning women by a 14-point margin. She's winning under 30 voters by 13 points. She's winning college grads only by 7 points. Brian Kemp is winning white voters by 33 points, 35 rather, men with 18 points, non-college grads by 11 points, and rural voters by 35 points. What is striking to me here is that Abrams is not doing as well with college grads as I actually would have expected. Uh, She's also not doing as well with women as I think her campaign would want. Um, Also interesting, 39% of of people say they're more likely to vote for a candidate who supported Brett Kavanaugh. 36% likely to back a candidate who opposed Kavanaugh. See, the underlying fundamentals here are actually very good for Kemp. Uh, Abrams is only winning women by 14 points. Uh, She's only winning college grads by 7 points. Kemp is winning rural voters. Yes, she's got uh, Metro Atlanta voters by 53 points, but that's to be expected. It it is the heavily Democratic area. Um, But the suburban Atlanta area is where things come in, and it's 49-47 in Abrams' favor in the suburbs. Uh, Among all likely voters, it's 49-47 in Kemp's favor. So, and Kemp has totally locked down the Republicans. Um... This is a very, very interesting dynamic. There's stuff that both campaigns can look at in this polling and say it's good for them. But I think the underlying fundamentals here ultimately wind up looking good for Brian Kemp just in that. I mean, for example, it's women. It's 55 Abrams, 41 Kemp. Uh, I think Stacey Abrams was hoping, given her massive push for women, uh, that it would be higher than that. And it's not. Uh, likewise, in, under college grads, it's 52-45 in favor of Stacey Abrams. That's actually not fantastic for Stacey Abrams. She should be doing better with college graduates, just given the dynamics right now. Now, Kemp, on the other hand, should be doing better in the suburbs. It's 49-47 in favor of Abrams in the suburbs. Uh, Kemp should be doing better than that. Uh, And among independents, it's 50-41 in favor of Abrams. Kemp should be doing better among independents. But 
Ultimately, among likely voters, it's 49-47 Kemp. You add in Metz, it's 46-45. Metz probably isn't going to do that well overall uh, because libertarians historically poll better than they actually do at the, at the actual voting polls in Georgia. Historically, they have. Uh, so by and large, I, this is very good numbers for Brian Kemp. This is actually ahead of where Nathan Deal was in 2014 against Jason Carter. It's also ahead of where David Perdue was against Michelle Nunn. If you'll recall, at this point in the election, two weeks before the election, Jason Carter was ahead of Nathan Deal and Michelle uh, Nunn was tied with David Perdue. So Kemp is actually doing better than them, than those Republicans in 2014. Now, here's Mark Murray, who's the the head of politics for NBC. Um, Someone notes that the African American vote percentage is actually underwhelming for Abrams. And Mark Murray notes that that's the potential good news for Abrams. Her lead among African-Americans isn't as large as it possibly could be. Uh, They make up 25% of likely voters and observers believe it'll be higher on election day. So she's underperforming the African-American vote here in Georgia right now, according to NBC's poll. Uh, Very interesting. Now, uh, there's also this funny moment last night at the debate uh, when Mr. Metz was answering a question. Marks there. Uh, Greg Bluesting, we go back to you to ask Ted Metz a question. Yeah, Mr. Metz, um, you've promised to cut spending by slashing what you call obsolete, inefficient, unnecessary, and unconstitutional agencies. What specifically would you eliminate? And what do you say to Georgians who, de- who might depend on their services? Get another job. What is that noise? Unfortunately, we're experiencing an alarm here. <laughs> fire alarm went off met says get another job um i just a a brief word on this and listen spare me your phone calls y'all the libertarian party in georgia has long served as the spoiler for the democrats they were given ballot access even though uh the green party for a number of years in georgia actually fielded stronger candidates than the libertarians the democrats in the georgia legislature structured the law in order to be able to give ballot access to libertarians as a way to keep republicans down in georgia uh and for a while there it actually worked uh, you'll recall that Saxby Chambliss had to go into a Senate runoff because of the Libertarian candidate serving as the spoiler. But over time, the Libertarian Party in Georgia has j- become more and more of a joke. Uh, Mr. Metz last night uh, and his entire campaign on him is a joke. I, the Libertarians in Georgia could actually field some real public policy and help shape public policy towards smaller government in the state if they engaged more. They've been given the gift by the Democrats of ballot access, and they tend to not use that gift wisely in Georgia or elsewhere. Uh, There are very few statewide viable libertarian candidates. And here in Georgia last night, for anyone who watched the debate, and I don't believe it was a heavily watched debate. I don't know that it will change many people's minds, if anybody's minds. Um, if anything, though, it probably helped Brian, given the NBC News polling showing that if the Libertarian is taken into account, this could push it into a runoff. Uh, if anything, it might have helped Brian Kemp uh, ensure that he's not going to have a runoff just because the Libertarian candidate didn't come across well in the debate at all. Uh, If hemp is your only major issue, 
Well, that's not really the issue I think most Georgians care about. It is a very fringe issue, by and large. The libertarians could do so much more in this state if they would just focus, but they don't seem to want to. Maybe it's because of Hemp's cousin. Do you have trouble sleeping? Do you struggle putting your kids to bed each night? When you sleep poorly, how does this impact the rest of your day? Look, I'm excited to announce I'm partnering with Calm. It's the number one app for sleep, meditation, and relaxation. It was named App of the Year last year by Apple. And if you head to calm.com slash Eric, E-R-I-C-K, you'll get 25% off a Calm premium subscription, which includes hundreds of hours of premium programming, including sleep stories, which are bedtime tales for grown-ups designed to quiet your mind and relax your body. They're read by soothing narrators like Clark. Peters from The Wire and Jerome Flynn from Game of Thrones. They're guided meditations on topics like anxiety, stress, and sleep, and they're soothing music and more. Now look, for a limited time, the Eric Erickson Show listeners get 25% off Calm Premium subscriptions at calm.com slash Eric. That's C-A-L-M dot C-O-M slash Eric, E-R-I-C-K. It includes unlimited access to all of Calm's amazing content that's going to get you drifting off to dreamland in no time. Get started today at calm.com slash Eric, then go to sleep. Welcome back. It is 25 after the hour. Folks, I've been digging in during the, um, during the, the, Commercial break, that's what it's called. Uh, sorry, I've got all these windows open on my screen right now because I've been pulling up all these things. And sure enough, you know, CNN in 2014, uh, two weeks before the election, it was on October 25th, CNN released its polling of Georgia, Nathan Deal versus Jason Carter, Jason Carter in the lead. Most major polling out there, including a Maris poll, had Jason Carter ahead of Nathan Deal also had Jason Carter doing better with black voters than Stacey Abrams. So this is very fascinating with the NBC Marist poll in that Brian Kemp is doing better than Nathan Deal was against Jason Carter four years ago at this same moment in, in the race, uh, these two weeks before the election polls. Also, Brian Kemp is doing better in this polling among black voters than Nathan Deal was. In 2014, put another way, Stacey Abrams, who is black, is doing worse with black voters than Jason Carter was four years ago. Also, Stacey Abrams is doing worse with women than Jason Carter was four years ago. Also, Stacey Abrams is doing worse with college educated voters than Jason Carter was four years ago. The whole dynamic is fascinating because so few people thought any of that. The Abrams campaign was banking on a high number of black voters for her. And I got to tell you, even the NBC folks are saying, I think she's going to have a much higher support from the black community in the polls ultimately than what we see. The problem, though, is that um, like Jason Carter, he wound up doing better, I believe, with African-Americans in the run up to the polling or in the actual vote than in the polling. But he was outperforming Abrams in the polls among black voters, which is striking. Another striking thing is that she's not doing nearly as well as the um, as we would expect her to be doing with women. That is going to weigh her down ultimately in this race when she doesn't have the, the near unified support of the black community and she is not doing as well with women 
and she is not doing as well with college-educated voters. I mean, we have a benchmark for Jason Carter back in um, 2014, and the irony here is that he had 47% in that poll, and Stacey Abrams has 47% in this poll, and that was him ahead of Nathan Deal, and now she's behind Brian Kemp with the same percentage. Welcome back. Um, the media has identified, they have outed who is to blame for these bombs today. It has come out in the last little while. Um, I want to play for you a clip of the various media outlets breaking the news over the suspect, the culprit, the individual responsible for the bombs. Again, uh, it is multiple media outlets are reporting this this afternoon. I want you to listen to this. I mean, the targets are fairly obvious. They've all been e either uh, brought up by the president or were opponents of him in different contexts. I was been texting with my former colleagues at CNN, and, and they're scared. And one colleague, former colleague, said, this is what happened when the president calls you the enemy of the people. It's almost like they're following Donald Trump's Twitter feed. He did go on to call it an egregious act, and he did something interesting. He did something we rarely hear this president do, he called for civility and unity, but he did not say at all that he is often the one sowing all these divisions. But the reality is to spin belief and not see the context of what is occurring today with a president who has repeatedly suggested that the press is the enemy of the people. I would just add, there is no disputing that the targets of these particular devices, as we've been reporting so far, are all connected to individuals that the president specifically and his political allies have been attacking. You know, we, we are in an era now where violence seems to have license by the president of the United States. That was from The View. Fox News hadn't gotten a bomb yet. Uh, Fox News has gotten plenty of, of problems over the past few years from left-wing hate. They just don't advertise it. I, I want to say this about the situation. I worked at CNN for a number of years. Uh, I am over there now frequently on television, uh, not as a paid contributor, just someone who goes on. I'm on a number of networks. I've been on Fox. I'll be on Meet the Press this coming Sunday. And I got to tell you guys, there are really good people at CNN who do really good work. And I've been very public with my criticisms of various anchors and reporters there, uh, including Don Lemon and, and Chris Cuomo and uh, Brooke Baldwin of late. But they don't deserve to be considered the enemy of the people. And I know some of you disagree, but I don't believe they do. They send a lot of reporters into harm's way to try to find facts on the ground around the world. Do I think there is a liberal bias at the network? I absolutely do. And I agree with Jeff Zucker. He released a statement today saying that it is this violent rhetoric that is so pervasive in our politics that is causing these sorts of things. And the president and the press secretary should take ownership of it. And this is where I have to break ranks with Jeff Zucker on that. Uh, Jeff Zucker and CNN, and I have been critical of them on this, they, Jake Tapper, Wolf Blitzer were exceptions and John King, but by and large, the network anchors at CNN moved very quickly away from James Hodgkinson when he committed a mass assassination attempt on Republican members of Congress. They, MSNBC, uh, the various networks, the various news outlets, they didn't spend a whole lot of time 
talking about uh, shrill rhetoric from the left when that clearly inspired James Hodgkinson to attempt a mass assassination on Republican members of Congress. It is, I think, one of the reasons so many conservatives distrust the media that when you've got a bullseye uh, target on Republican members of Congress, the press takes a pass on the harsh rhetoric from the left. But when the bullseye is put on them from the president, they're suddenly like, oh, this terrible rhetoric, this terrible rhetoric is terrible. Well, it is, but it is across the board. The press is not the enemy of the American people. But I, increasingly, I got a hard time defending the press because they have maliciously gotten so many stories wrong of late. But none of that justifies sending a bomb to CNN. Y'all, so the, the bomb sent to CNN today was sent to John Brennan, the former CIA director. Uh, he does not work for CNN. He was on CNN, and he made some of his many controversial statements about President Trump while on CNN, but he was never a paid contributor. He's a paid contributor at MSNBC. So whoever did this is not well-informed, but I also do think it is worth pointing out. I, I have great deal of sympathy for CNN, but the fact is it was an individual who does not work at CNN who was targeted. It was not the network itself targeted, and I do think that there is a level of perspective that needs to be put there. I'll tell you what else, though, I think we need some perspective on. I do not buy the idea that this is a progressive targeting Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, George Soros, CNN, Aaron uh, Eric Holder using Debbie Wasserman Schultz return address in order to mobilize Democrats or turn people off on Republicans. I've got some very dear friends of mine who are pushing this story today. I do not believe it. I do not believe it because I do not think any progressive political activist is smart enough to do something like that, number one. Number two, I just don't find it plausible. Uh, it fails the Occam's razor test. Uh, frankly, to me, it just seems very, very far more complicated to believe a series of events that would let people believe that and orchestrate hand deliveries because many of these were hand delivered in all these locations as a democratic plot to help Democrats. I, I don't think that's the case. I think we need to wait and see before we make presumptions about who did something like this. It is 55 after the hour. Coming up at the top of the hour, Karen Handel joins me. I want to talk to Karen Handel about her campaign, uh, the situation on the ground with her campaign, and also uh, the situation with Lucy McBath, who, she, does she even live in Georgia? She says she lives in Georgia. I'm not sure. We'll review the other polling data for Brian Kemp when we come back as well. But right now, I, I just want to say this. There are a lot of people today in the media attacking the president, saying that it is his violent rhetoric that has caused these bombs to be delivered, uh, bombs to CNN. And I want to put that in perspective because I got a lot of sympathy for CNN today. But this wasn't a bomb delivered to CNN. This was a bomb addressed to John Brennan, a commentator at MSNBC, and it was sent to the wrong place. Doesn't make it right. That's not what I'm saying. But keep that in perspective. And also, let's keep this in perspective. The same people saying the president's violent rhetoric caused this were fairly quiet when James Hodgkinson attempted a mass assassination on Republican members of Congress. They savaged the Koch brothers. They've savaged Republicans. They've said Republicans want to kill people, and they're okay with that rhetoric. Three, two, one, zero. All engine 
It is nine after the hour here in Atlanta. I am Eric Erickson, and this is Atlanta's Evening News on WSB. The phone number, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Joining me now is one of my favorite members of Congress, Karen Handel. Welcome. Hey there. How are you, Eric? I'm great. How are you? I am terrific, and I hope the family's good. We are all doing well, getting ready for Halloween. (laughs) All right. Good deal. So I got to ask you out of the gate, the story is now circulating in the AJC, the Marietta Daily Journal, and elsewhere. Um, Are you running against someone who's from Tennessee? (laughs) You know, I don't know what it is with the Democrats in the 6th District where they, you know, we have, what, close to 800,000 eligible voters in every congressional district, and they can't seem to find one uh, in the 6th to run. Look, I can just tell you that in the debate uh, that's airing tonight that we taped yesterday, she said over and over again that she moved to Tennessee in 2016 and 2017, but she moved back. Well, she continued taking a homestead exemption in Cobb County for those two years and other years. And that's just not right. It is illegal. It is gaming the system and not paying their fair share of taxes. Yeah, it, it, this is one of those weird things with Democrats who want everybody to pay taxes but don't seem to want to pay them themselves that we continue to see. And now you've got Democrats attacking Republicans in in the House for proposing a middle-class tax cut. You know, it, it is um, a little hypocritical. And, you know, I, what I know is that Cobb County um, has issued Mrs. Public Records issued an audit letter revoking that homestead exemption. So one way or the other, if uh, she uh, is indeed was indeed a resident in Tennessee, which it looks like she was, if they're revoking that uh, tax exemption, she will have to uh, pay those back taxes. Now, if she does, in fact, live here, she's been gaming the system and not paying the 7 percent car tax because all of her vehicles are registered in Tennessee. Good grief. (laughs) Wow. Well, I'll tell you, nevertheless, the outside groups, they are pouring money in like you wouldn't believe, Eric. It's unbelievable. Yeah, you know, I have heard that from a number of people, although a friend of mine today told me that the word on the street in Washington is they may actually be scaling back some in Georgia, which I guess would be good news. But the the level of antagonism out there for you and for Republicans among the Democrats, I, I don't remember this level of vitriol in our political process. It's, you know, it's really gotten very angry. And I think, you know, in a lot of these races where you have um, a woman Democrat against a uh, woman Republican, it's amped up a little bit. And then we saw today with uh, these bomb threats, everyone has to sort of bring the temperature down a bit. Um, this is not how... Uh, the process is, uh, should work, and it's really got to stop. I do want to ask you, though, taking temperature down, and instead of talking about your opponent, let, let's talk about you and your campaign. And what are you hearing from people on the campaign trail out there right now? I am hearing a lot of very uh, positive feedback all across the 6th District. There's a lot of energy uh, for Republicans in the 6th District. I am, you know me, I always run like I'm 10 points behind. Um, so I'm going to keep the pedal to the metal all the way through November 6th. But, you know, I, I think the biggest thing people see is just all of this outside money pouring in. And, you know, just this afternoon, another $325,000 booked um, on behalf of my opponent. Um, but everybody's working hard. And, 
uh, among Republicans, everyone understands what's at stake. They understand that you know the economy is going so well, um, and we are finally getting things done, and we do not want to turn back the clock on, on all of that progress. I hear that a lot from people as well, the the idea of turning back the clock. I hear it in regards to Stacey Abrams and, and wanting to roll back some of the education reforms Governor Deal has made uh, with Democrats and tax cuts. Um, what do you see as the big issue moving forward? Uh, assuming you get reelected and, and the Cook Political Index has, I think, moved you into the, the likely Republican category, which is good. Don't don't stop running like you're 10 points behind, though. Don't take it for granted. But <laughs> if you get reelected, if the Republicans are in the majority come next year. What's your big issue that you really want to get done? I think now that we have addressed the revenue side of the ledger in terms of the federal government and getting the economy going again, it is imperative that we turn our attention to the spending side of our financial ledger because Washington really does have a spending problem, and it's tough to deal with with cutting the budget when we have so many people unemployed. We now have the lowest unemployment in decades, imperative to begin to deal with the year-on-year deficit and the long-term debt. I'm glad you said that because I I do have this real concern with Republicans right now, and and if they don't take back the House, the, the rel- having to rely on Senate Republicans with a Nancy Pelosi majority in in the House to do anything about the debt and deficit, and it seems like the Democrats' only solution is tax increases. But I, I haven't really seen a lot of Republicans willing to to own up to we need to do some spending cuts. Yep. So we've had um, Diane Black has long had a bill to do an across the board one percent cut. We never get enough votes to get that across the finish line, um, across in the Senate. Um, the president has now asked every agency head to submit a proposal of what a 5% cut would look like, um, all of these things. So I think we will start to, um, once we keep the majority, start to see some attention there. And for, for the listeners who might think about Social Security or Medicare, look, we all get the obligation that we have. To individuals who are um, on Social Security and Medicare, we get that. And I don't want to have anyone feel worried about that. Um, If they want to worry, they should worry about the Democrats' Medicare for All plan, which will end Medicare as we know it. And it'll prohibit employer-based insurance programs. So no one get worried about that, about how the cuts will look. But I think everyone would agree that we've got to get serious about uh, the ballooning spending. Uh, you know, you mentioned this Medicaid for all thing. I, I realize you got a number of Democrats, including the the lady from New York City who calls herself a socialist, and Bernie Sanders wanting this plan. And I mean, every projection I've seen says that even if you were to tax people at a hundred percent of their income, you wouldn't have the money to pay for this thing. And yet they seem to think it'll pay for itself. It's it's inexplicable to me. The numbers don't add up. But what is even worse is that it would be basically Obamacare 2.0 and take um, healthcare system and turn it into a full throttle government run government takeover of healthcare, which is exactly what we don't need. We don't need more government in our healthcare. We need less. Very much so. Now, listen, we've got about a minute and a half here left. I know I have seen polling out there that for some reason there's still a lot of undecided voters in Georgia. That includes in the 6th Congressional District where you are. Uh, I want to open up the microphone for you. Instead of asking you questions, just make your case to the voters of the 6th. 
Well, I appreciate that. And to all of your listeners, especially those from the 6th District, um, thank you for this extraordinary privilege. Um, the Congress has been working to get real results for you. We've got this economy going again. Unemployment is low. And all of that means more opportunity for you and your families. Um, we've done tax cuts. which putting more money in your pocket. For the average family of four in the 6th District, it is a greater than $4,400 a year tax cut. Um, We're working to end the opioid crisis, deal with human trafficking, and do better on mental health to build out mental health capacity that we know we need. Um, I appreciate the opportunity to serve you, and want you to know I'm working hard to earn your vote again, and I would be honored to have it. Well, Karen, thanks very much for stopping by. I sure appreciate it, and and good luck. And listen, you you know, given the way Tennessee is playing this year in football, it's probably going to be an easy win for you there. (laughs) All right. I appreciate you so much. Thanks, Eric. Bye-bye You're welcome. Take care. Yeah, y'all, Tennessee football, God bless them. And and we've got this Lucy McBath lady running against Karen Handel, who actually lives in Tennessee, has said her husband is a full-time resident of Tennessee. She registered to vote in Tennessee. Uh, She has her cars registered in Tennessee. And yet she was taken a Cobb County homestead exemption and now claims she's moved back just to run for Congress. Y'all, if her husband is a full-time resident of Tennessee, do you really think she's going to stay in Cobb County where she claims she is? Of course not. Uh, So you could vote for the person from Tennessee or you could vote for the person from Georgia who really lives here and really works for you already, Karen Handel. I highly recommend you vote for Karen. Now, what about the amendments on the ballot? Let's talk about those when we come back here on WSB. Phone lines are open here at Atlanta's Evening News on WSB. The phone number is 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. And when we come back, I want to break down some more of the polling uh, regarding Brian Kemp and Stacey Abrams. There's some data in there that Democrats are saying this is good news, but actually it's not when you look at it. A word real quick about all this blaming Donald Trump for rhetoric and whatnot. Uh, New York City's Shakespeare in the Park did a play, a version of Julius Caesar, and they had the Caesar-like candidate dressed to look like Donald Trump and stabbed him to death. That's what happens to Julius Caesar, and that's what happens in Shakespeare's play. But it was a Donald Trump lookalike. You had Democrats call Republicans all sorts of things. Remember they said they were going to kill people by tax cuts, kill people by Obamacare repeal, kill people because of net neutrality. Yeah, James Hodgkinson believe it, but they only want to talk about the president's rhetoric. What about the left's rhetoric? We need to talk about that too. It's 39 after the hour. It's Eric Erickson here. News 95.5 AM 750 WSB. All of this talk today about the president's violent rhetoric. I I, want to read you something. This is from a, well, I'll tell you what this is. Let, Let me read it to you first. The Russian waited until they were a few steps past before he drew the gun. He sighted on the center of President Trump's back and squeezed the trigger. The Makarov misfired. 
the Secret Service agent at the President's shoulder heard the click, spun into a crouch. He registered the scene instantly, drawing his own weapon with razor-edge reflexes. The Russian tasted failure. He closed his eyes and waited to pay the cost. It did not come. He opened his eyes. The Secret Service agent stood before him, presented his Glock, but first, here, the agent said politely, use mine. This is a fictional account of the Secret Service collaborating with the Russians to assassinate President Trump. And it appears today in the New York Times. They're running this in the New York Times today. The New York Times is running a piece about assassinating President Trump, about the Secret Service assassinating President Trump today. So spare me the rhetoric about the president's violence. Spare me the rhetoric. Or, or you know, there is this. Let me see if I can get this. I, I went during commercial break and I found this because I remembered this having happened. I remembered this audio from coming up. Um, let me adjust my soundboard here and listen to this. This is from June 12th, 2017. Two companies now pulling their sponsorships from a New York City Shakespeare in the Park production, claiming the theater company's portrayal of Julius Caesar bears striking similarities to President Donald Trump, who in this play gets stabbed to death on stage. Yes. In New York City, they did the staging of Julius Caesar for Shakespeare in the Park, the, the Shakespeare play Julius Caesar. They dressed the Caesar character up as Donald Trump from hair color to suit to tie color and stabbed him to death in front of the audience. <clears throat> Don't tell me about the president's violent rhetoric. It doesn't exist in a vacuum. It was not the president's violent rhetoric that got Steve Scalise shot by James Hodgkinson. Now, with that off my chest. Here's an interesting bit. Among white women with a college degree, Stacey Abrams trails Brian Kemp by four points, 47% to 51%. She's losing white college-educated women. And her campaign is saying, oh, but look, we've gotten it close. We've gotten it close. They have spent an ungodly amount of money trying to get white educated college women to go with Stacey Abrams. And they haven't been able to pull it off. They may have gotten close, but they haven't been able to pull it off. Um, Y'all, I am getting lambasted. So I, I mentioned this last week. We were out of town last weekend and we came home and there was a mail piece from Stacey Abrams campaign to my wife. There was a democratic activist named Jen on the cover of the mail piece she had on these teal, cheap-looking glasses, plastic-looking glasses, had a nose ring, referring Brian Kemp as a hot mess. And I put the picture up on Instagram, and I said, speaking of hot messes, um, just just the optics of that. Um, this is how what they're doing to try to persuade other women to vote for Kemp, is that that is the face of their anti-Kemp women's coalition, whatever you want to say. I put that on Instagram. Well, that woman apparently is real, not not an, not an actor. And, oh, her friends were mad at me for calling out her looks on Instagram. I'm sorry, folks. Um, you're coming after Brian Kemp. You're calling him a crazy, racist, redneck country bumpkin. Uh, and this is the, the face you're using, the image you're using, the male piece you're using to try to lure women 
to Stacey Abrams didn't did not work in my family. I am not alone in that. Uh, and to get to to attack Brian Kemp and oh, you can't handle the response is pathetic to me. Uh, it's just the whole thing is silly. The whole thing just I'm ready for this election to be over. Uh, but the over the top defensiveness of that you're calling Brian Kemp a hot mess. Ah, uh, yeah. I'm not going to take you serious. I'm I'm really not. I'm having a hard time taking much of this serious. So I think what we're going to see in the next week is we're going to see more and more of the Democratic rhetoric becoming more shrill because the polling more and more shows that Stacey Abrams isn't meeting the goals she needs to meet. Her only hope now is for Republicans not to turn out because otherwise it's going to be very close. So if you're a Republican, you're thinking of not voting, you probably want to. You've got one candidate who's out attacking the free market. Uh, you know, I had a, somebody reach out to me the other day who said uh, her husband's libertarian. Doesn't see uh, much difference between either candidate. It's like, well, you got the libertarian candidate, but he seems to be a nut who only cares about industrialized hemp. But now I, I think the, the, the issue is very striking here. You've got Stacey Abrams is opposed to all the school reforms we've put in place in Georgia wants to get rid of the state uh, scholarship fund that allows poor kids into private schools, wants to get rid of charter schools, and now she's on the campaign trail attacking the free market. Uh, if you're a libertarian candidate who's looking at these two people and you're thinking, I don't like either one of them, you have one of these candidates is on record saying we need to get the government out of the way and let the private sector grow in Georgia without the government picking winners and losers. You've got the other person saying that uh, the free market has never done anything for anyone and she wants the power as governor to have a command and control economy to get people out of farm jobs and into renewable energy jobs because global warming is real. Seems like the choice is pretty clear here. It is 54 after the hour, and I feel compelled to go back to this pretty much all the time these days, almost every day, and tell you I'm voting no on all the amendments, uh, including Amendment 4, the Victims' Rights Amendment, because it's already law in Georgia, and I don't think that uh, we should be cavalier about adding things to the Constitution that we can already do legislatively, and we've already done that legislatively, so I see no need for the amendment. I'm voting no on all of them. Now, to the phones we go. Dave incoming, welcome. Hi, uh, Eric. It's a uh, long-time listener. It's good talking to you. Thanks. Hey, uh, uh, who's that, Kathy? Uh, somebody, remember the, the uh, yeah, comedian that had Trump? Kathy added, Griffin, uh, who beheaded the president. Yeah. yeah, I mean, what kind of rhetoric was that? I mean, the left was uh, all over that back then, saying it was a great thing. and I'm just... Uh, I don't understand how they watch out in uh, California saying that, you know, go harass the uh, legislatures. Uh, I don't understand exactly which side the uh, left thinks starting this rhetoric, but it's been Yeah, and and listen, this is they elected a president who said to take guns to knife fights, get in your neighbor's face, and Republicans were the enemy. Yeah, and who's to say that, you know, a left, who's, who's at stake right now? Who is this benefiting the most? It's the left having another talking point, and who's to say a left-wing person did this to cause exactly this issue? 
Look, you know, I don't actually think it was a a leftist who did this. Um, I don't think anyone, particularly in the progressive left that we have today, is Machiavellian enough and smart enough to be able to pull something like this off. Um, I certainly think it was a malevolent soul. But let me say this. For all these people who say the president's rhetoric matters, Democrats' rhetoric matters as well. And we don't live in a vacuum here. We have Republicans who were nearly mass assassinated at a baseball practice by James Hodgkinson. Did you know two weeks ago that a Republican running for Congress in California was attacked by a man with a switchblade? Luckily, the the knife mal- the switchblade malfunctioned and the Republican candidate was able to beat him up or he'd be dead. Yet the Wisconsin Republican Party had their office burned down. The media hasn't covered those stories. I didn't even know about the switchblade attack until today. When a friend of mine pointed it out and said, do you realize that there was a, a Republican candidate was attacked with a switchblade? You've had Republican candidates elsewhere in the country attacked. And the media has not covered those. They're covering this. Uh, it's terrible. It is wrong. Everyone should condemn it. But it's not in a vacuum. It's not just Republicans. It's not just the Republicans' rhetoric. It's not just the president's rhetoric. This happens to Republicans. Violence happens to them as well.